4: Support for today's show comes from the Life is Good Ping Podcast. Join the co-founders of Life is Good, Bert and John Jacobs, as they talk to influential musicians, athletes, business leaders, and everyday people about the role of optimism in their lives. And they'll also end each episode with a ping pong charity challenge where the winner gets to donate to their charity of choice. How cool is that? The Life is Good Ping Podcast kicks off Thursday, June 13th, this week, with the legendary Ringo Star. Subscribe now on Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes, and add some good vibes to your day. Now here's the show. Hello everybody. How are you doing this evening or afternoon, morning? You know, maybe maybe you're like an early morning podcast listener or jogger, you know. You like you like listen to this in your car maybe. There's so many places that you can listen to this, but I just appreciate that you are listening to this. I'm Ray Harkins. You are downloading as to say tuning in that's not that's not the proper verbiage you are downloading this thing because you care about independent music and the people that make it up whether it's men women whether it's playing in a band running a record label it does not matter as long as you're involved in this thing thank you for downloading this thing and we have a rad rad chat this week with Ian Fike, the vocalist from a band called It Prevails, which some of you may not have any idea who It Prevails is, which is totally fine. If you were not keyed into the uh, melodic hardcore scene, as it were, you might be like, oh, maybe I've heard the band's name or whatever. But they have this very devout cult-like following that um, is just really interesting because, you know, the band, like they've, they did some touring and they've put out a decent amount of music. But uh, when you find a person that likes It Prevails, they're like, yo, let's talk. Let's get in deep with them. And I always find that really interesting because it seems like only certain genres of music kind of elicit that response. And um, yeah, anyways, but Ian has gone through a, a substantial journey in regards to uh, his own personal life, his own creative pursuits. And um, he's frankly very vulnerable in this conversation. It was really, really cool to... Um, I don't know, just have that discussion with him. He was very open honest about all of his struggles because you know, if you just do some light googling and research about uh him and his band, um he's been through some stuff. He's been through some some pretty pretty tough battles with addiction and uh yeah he was open and willing to discuss all of that with me which uh, i always appreciate giving people the platform and uh giving people the ability to tell their stories in a way that isn't uh soundbitey you know because i i don't need that i don't i don't need this sort of you know uh clickbait expose on who this person is it's like no just tell your story and i'm here to hopefully facilitate that in some capacity so anyways I want to tell you about my vacation because it was great and everybody needs to take a vacation. Like I don't care how, uh, you know, the, the, the the old, you know, the, the hustle and the grind and you know, everybody needs to be like working all the time. You got to unplug. You have to be. And when I say unplug, it doesn't mean that you're like, all right, I'm going to, you know, put my phone in a lockbox and I'm never going to look at it. It's like, no. No. You can just, you know, scale back and you can still feel like you're connected and, you know, you don't feel like you're underwater when you go back to work. And, you know, like that, that, that stuff, that's the world that I exist in. You know, I don't completely unplug, but it's just, it's nice to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't need to respond to that right now. It's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. So everybody needs to do that. And it's the summertime and that's when you're supposed to do that. Okay, please go take a break. And uh, tell, tell me about this. You, I'm, t- I'm talking to you personally there are times in which life feels like it's moving by so fast, whether it's like, Oh my gosh, like I can't even believe we're in June. It felt like it was just January or whatever. Like time is all relative, you know, like, and I am not um, pontificating on the fact that, Oh my gosh, like everything seems to be moving so quickly, but at times it, uh, I don't know. how, How do you combat that? How do you, is it, is it, trying to stay rooted in these moments trying to you know live one day at a time like i don't know i'm just uh, i'm struggling a lot recently with that that notion and that idea that there's sometimes things are just like oh man it's moving so fast and like oh you get to you know saturday and sunday and you can you know take a breather or whatever and then like you know the week you're just running around like a crazy person i don't know it's just it's it's really strange and you know i I, want to speak to you about that so hunter podcast at gmail.com always love the correspondence and and uh, in depth questions that I may get from people and listeners that are you know pitching ideas like it's a it's a really really cool dialogue and I respond to all my emails okay like I'm I'm very very good about that so and sometimes it may take a little bit longer so you know be patient but I I do check all my stuff so I appreciate that but um yeah let's let's dive into the conversation with Ian okay it was a great chat and I really appreciated him uh, being as open and honest as he was in this. So here we are. Here's Ian. Still to this day, it's one of the, like, a very unique experience that I had with It Prevails, where uh, I'm fairly certain that rise had this is i was working at uh century media and i fairly certain rise sent me like a promo package of you know all their newest releases and then i got your first record and it was one of those things where it's like i was uh, and i don't know why i was really um because it was your, your record was amongst like four or five others and i was like maybe i was listening to all of them i don't remember exactly why but i, I just was drawn to the record and then i listened to it and i was like oh, dude, like, I really like this. This is awesome. And then I remember looking at the liner notes, and then in the thank you list, I was like, they thank Taken in here. And I was like, <laughs> I, that was honestly the first time that had ever happened to, like, you know, me or the band or anything, where I was like, I don't know these guys at all, yet they thanked us. like, And, I mean, I could see why, obviously, the sonic similarities that our bands have. Like, it makes sense. But it was... um yeah, I don't know. It's just like super flattering. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I may have like emailed you or reached out in some capacity to be like, dude, you guys are really, really good. And I, I don't know, does does that, I mean, did, does me reaching out sound familiar at all? Because I, I think I did.
5: Yeah, no, you definitely did. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this because on both ends of that whole situation, it's like, you know, w- when you're like an upcoming band or a band that releases a debut record, and you put in your influences as you know. Thank yous. You only hope that one of the members of those bands would would actually read it, come across the record, and you know, and therefore reach out from there. Man, that's just that's awesome. Um, yeah, but I do sure. remember you reaching out, and I can't remember uh, what platform it was on. Maybe even MySpace at the time. But that's true,
4: yeah. It could it could have been that. Yeah, I just. I, <clears throat> That is true because I I guess I didn't think about it from your perspective, where you put all the bands that you are, you know, inspired by as a little like, hey, you know, we we know you exist and we really like you, and you know, maybe one day that like (laughs) we'll get to know you or play with you or whatever. But yeah, I, I didn't think about it from those that that perspective. But yeah, that totally makes sense.
5: Yeah, man, it's it's like a dream come true to hear that. I never knew that that was something that you know. Led up to why we first started chatting, but I remember that um, when you reached out vividly, and um, shortly after that, you know, it was was when we or when you guys invited us to play your reunion show. What was it, thirteen years ago? Yeah, or so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very true because it. Um,
4: I think it was one of those things too, and I'm sure I know that you have experienced this completely, where. There are, you know, I mean, a lot of hardcore is always, you know, ridden waves of popularity, like every other subgenre of, you know, whatever style of aggressive music you're playing. But uh, it it always felt like there were, I don't know, you always craved to have more bands. Like, it just seems to be that there's always like, oh yes, like heavy metallic hardcore bands, there's always going to be. But then like, you're like, well, but the sense of melody, you're like, I can find like maybe one in 10 bands that kind of have that. Um, and, and so I'm guessing like with It Prevails, you always like, you know, even when you're actively touring and playing with bands, um, you, did you feel like you've never really, I guess, like fit into a lot of places, so to speak?
5: Definitely. Um, I, 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 I can relate with that concept of like yearning for other bands to kind of like continue it or, You know, just be there with you when you're you're trying to do it. You know, when we started this band, um, it was kind of, especially in our area, there was no band really doing it um, up here in Oregon. And But growing up, you know, I I have an older sister. She kind of got me into the whole underground music thing. And furthermore, um, showed me bands that kind of sparked my passion for it uh this subgenre you know back when i was real young it wasn't called melodic hardcore yet i'm sure you can relate it was called melodic metalcore or whatever it didn't really even have a name for some people but when you know i saw i'm trying to think here what the year it was it was probably around 2004 i saw taken play with it dies today in a uh, in a real weird venue here in Portland and I was very young. I was probably 15 and man, that was one of those shows that, um, kind of lit the fire, so to speak, for, for me to want to do it, you know? And I never really, um, knew if we would capture those things that you guys, you know, or other bands akin, um, kind of footed the way for, but it was something that I always, from that, those younger years that I really wanted to do and going forward as I got older and it prevailed, started release, releasing more music and I noticed this kind of boom of the melodic hardcore sound in the, you know, late two thousands, like 2008, 2009, and then even up until probably 2012. And then it kind of died off again for a little while. And you know, just recently, you know, I've I've been trying to dive back in and, and find more of those bands and and there are still some, but it's definitely um I feel like it's still a niche genre in the sense of people who do it right, you know. Like uh I know that sounds kinda silly, but in my opinion, like <laughs> sure. that do it that do it justice, you know, not not just doing it to do it.
4: Sure, yeah. No, it, it's true. It definitely And plus the people that gravitate towards, uh, this style of, you know, aggressive music is really, uh, you know, people like get it, like they, they seek it in the same way that they seek, um, you know, other bands that are like, yeah, well, can we find other bands that sound like them too? (laughs) Like, you know, like I want, want like, and I, I think, I mean, that exists to a certain extent when you are you know, getting into any, if you're, you know, once you get into like stoner rock, you're like, Oh my gosh, like I, you know, I can't consume enough of this style of music, but then, it, but it just seems there are certain genres that seem to really capture this, this, you know, very large momentum of when people get into it, they like really get into it as opposed to like, Oh yeah, I'll slowly roll this out over like, you know, 10 years. It's like, no, I, I need to know everything immediately
5: right now. Right. And it kind of creates this like, like mysterious, like cool factor like that people really want to attach to the band or, you know, to, they just want as much out of it as it could, as they could possibly get, you know, they want to know the backstory. They want to know, um, meanings for individual songs. Um, you know, things like that. And truly, I don't think I can find that in many other genres, quite the same that we find in melodic hardcore.
4: Yeah, no, uh, it, It definitely, and especially too, because I think as weird as it is, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, where there are, um, I, I, there's more, uh, space for, uh, you know, vocalists and like what it is that, you know, we do from a lyrical perspective, it's easier to lean into the emotional, you know, side of yourself and talk about, you know, feelings and all these, you know, positive and negative things that you experience in your life. Whereas like, you know, there are, and granted this is painting with a very broad brush, but it's like, you know, if you're like a total New York city hardcore band, it's harder for you to lean into being like, Oh, I'm like, here are these emotions I'm feeling. Cause you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, crews and alleyways or what, you know, like again, I'm just, I'm I'm being an extreme in my example, but like, no, for sure. And so like following. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that that's like, that's why, it, you know, people can attach themselves deeper, not only a music level, musical level, but then lyrically too, because it's like, Oh yeah. Like I, I relate to what you are saying because there's a sense of melody into it. And you're talking about the emotions that I feel or whatever. I
5: f- yes. I mean, I feel like, uh, it definitely kind of paves an easier path to let, the you know, yourself kind of just open up more and, and be more, you know, know real in the sense of like you said feelings um whether it be good or bad situations that you put your you you can you can put yourself out there more and it comes across and it hits on a more emotive chord with the genre specifically that you know it people can find this attachment to it no matter you know there is some level that you have to maintain as far as you know not too cheesy not too funny or anything like that but there is like you can just be more real and i feel like that's why people attach to the lyrical side and you know kind of just be more open and even more focused on the lyrics themselves
4: totally yeah that's a very good point um you know we'll we'll hit on some some more of this in a little bit but you know i want to focus on you as a person and i like i have no idea where you were like born and raised like were you born in the pacific northwest or where did you kind of come up
5: Actually, I was born in Fullerton, California, in Southern California. Ah, um, got it. I did not know that. But I was only there till I was about four years old. And then I moved up to Portland, Southwest Portland, with my mom. And then later on, my dad moved here. And I, I was living here until I was probably 22 or 23.
4: Okay, got it. Um, And so you're... I'm gonna presume that because like you said your mom moved up there with you like you, your parents were divorced at a relatively early age or they are never together
5: No, they were di- they were divorced when I was um, probably two years old And then you know, they kind of just made it work down there for a little while and then my mom remarried and we moved up here and um My dad then moved Um up here as well to be closer and I kind of live between both their homes growing up Got it and are you an only child or do you have brothers and sisters? Actually, I have quite a big family, man. Um, I have an older sister. Oh, that's right. You, have... mentioned, you
4: mentioned the older sister being a pivotal in, in kind of introducing you to records and stuff.
5: Definitely. She sparked my love for music in general. But um, I have an older sister. I have a younger brother. And um, then I have a younger sister. So it's four siblings in my family.
4: Got it. And, d- and so did you all... I guess split your time in between like, you know, did all four of you like live with your mom for, you know, a, whatever, a couple of weeks. And then did you all go collectively to, you know, your dad's or how did that break down?
5: Yeah, basically it was, um, it was us four living with my mom for a week. And then it was like a week on week off thing, but they didn't live very far away. So there was no, like, you know, we all went to the same school. We all, You know, it was, it was pretty easy and I'm thankful for that.
4: Sure. No, that's cool. I I think it's, uh, it's hard when you have to get used to kind of two households where it's like two different sets of rules sometimes. And, um, you know, it, it can, it can cause a a strain, whether you're aware of it or not, where you have to like live these kind of two existences in a way. Like, did you experience that at all? Or was the household, like I guess both households kind of relatively consistent?
5: Um, you know, it's, I basically, um, my mom, she, um, when she first remarried, she remarried a man that, um, was pretty hard to be around and he was pretty, um, stern and, and very strict and he was an older gentleman and he was, uh, ex-military and, you know, I did find a lot of relief when I went to my dad's house, um, on those other, you know, opposite weeks. But, um, you know, in in a, in a weird kind of way, I feel like it, it was, it was a good thing in the end because, you know, I kind of had both, um, both things to learn from and take from as a, as a child. I think it helped me, you know, become the man I am today, really.
4: Sure. Understanding the dynamics and how you kind of fit into that. Right. Yeah. And so you're, I mean, from what I know of you and, you know, hanging out with you and, uh, all that sort of stuff, like, you know, you're a pretty quiet and, and introspective guy, like you're friendly. You know, I never felt like you were Anytime we communicated that you're like, okay, I, I, am done. I, this is too much, <laughs> too much interaction or anything, but, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> but you, you've always struck me as that, you know, that, that sort of quiet, more reserved person. Uh, has that always been who you are or is that something <clears throat> that you kind of, um, you know, adapt based on your, uh, surroundings or whatever, uh, whatever it's called for,
5: for that particular instance? You know, um, over the past couple years, I've come to realize that the more I am more introspective, I'm more um, reserved in general, and that's truly who I am. Um, you know, I kind of put this. The show is
6: sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken and I wish that I would be able to like get it. Instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. No.
1: perfect home sweet home
5: facade on for a number of years especially when i was touring with the band um, full-time that i tried to be this um, really outgoing and uh, more boisterous type of person and you know overall i just feel like you know granted you can sum some of that up to being you know just a, a transitioning from a boy to a man i started this band when i was really young but you know kind of finding who I am over the years. This is, you know, I am definitely a more introspective guy and I don't kind of toot my horn or I try not to be like uh, the center point of the room anytime I enter one type of thing, you know?
4: Support for today's show comes from, frankly, one of my favorite sponsors of all time, and that is Sonos. They make amazing speakers from the inside out. Not only do they sound great, they look great, and honestly, within five minutes, you will be up and running with whatever system or speakers you want to install in your house. Some of my favorite things that it does. It, uh not only is it super easy to set up, but you can play music in different rooms and different music in different rooms. So, like, for example, my son, he's like, yo, I want to listen to the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. It's like, all right, cool, go in your room, I'll sync it up, boom. And then downstairs, my wife and I can be listening to, you know, the new Bon Iver. Like, There's so much cool stuff that you can do with it. And they have a really, really incredible thing called Trueplay. So, you set up a speaker, you use your phone to tune that speaker to that specific room. So like you walk around for you know about a minute and you hold it in different positions. It's amazing because it really, really makes a difference to make that room sound or optimized for that speaker. It's so cool. So go to sonos.com to learn more. I cannot tell you how much this speaker and this system has changed my life for the better. It is for any music lover, no matter what size place, if it's a house, apartment, whatever, I don't care, you will be able to find a system that works for you and your music experience will be that much better. Okay. So go to Sonos.com and learn more. Thank you, Sonos. Talk to me a little bit more about that. The, um, the, the persona that you're speaking of, because there are definitely a lot of people that have the personality and disposition of what you're talking about, you know, understand that there is this expectation of like what a person needs to be when they're the front man of a band or, you know, a a focal point in some capacity. Um, so like how, like, was that something that you recognized that was, I guess, kind of expected of you or was that something that you were just like, well, I, I, this is what I know that other people
5: do. So I guess I might as well do it. Man, that's interesting. Um, Basically, you know, I kind of went into it like, you know, I had talked to uh, other members and bands that were kind of in the same situation. I kind of looked up to them and in a maybe unhealthy regard in the sense that, you know, they're they're this, you know, uh, like I idolized them almost. And I feel like I wanted to be that person. You know, I wanted to be something that people remembered always you know, when they walked away from the show, I I almost put on this like mask of who I wanted them to see as opposed to who I actually was. And to be quite honest with you, you know, I, I, I fueled that with drugs and alcohol for many years and eventually it just kind of started to unravel and, you know, good or bad. I mean, you'll hear it from all sorts of people that have came across my path that, you know, it was a it was definitely hit or miss, and it wasn't a healthy way of going about it, but you know it's it's part of who I am and i all I really wanted to do with the music more so is just impact people in a positive way, you know, and I hope that i I left kind of those um, imprints on people in that regard, but I know that's not a hundred percent true, but I do feel what you mentioned is that there is this kind of pressure built on somebody that is the front man or, you know, it's kind of no secret that, um, well for fans of ours that I wrote most of the music and, uh, the ideas stem from me as far as, you know, guitars and all that stuff. So I feel like there's, there was some sort of pressure to be this altruistic, super, super dude. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of something that, I held as a standard for myself when I, it truly wasn't necessary, but I am guilty of it for sure.
4: Yeah, and I, I appreciate you laying, <clears throat> laying it out like that because I do think there is this, especially when you are you know younger and you are a person that, like you said, the, your idea to create this music was very much like you know it was born out of your passion for you know playing the music and you know doing some shows and stuff like that, and it isn't until you're you know put on like you put yourself on stage and you start to realize like even a small influence you know you play a show in front of 10 people and then all of a sudden like five of them are really into your band it's like that's a weight you know and you don't like you just want people to like your music and let alone have this uh uh, this expectation of you uh just based on what they know you know um and so yeah it, it is interesting to kind of navigate that as you are you know, you're a child yourself, like you're only two or three years older than the people who are attending the show.
5: (laughs) Yeah, man. It's, uh, i you know, um, it was always kind of like a fine line where, you know, sometimes I didn't really want to be that guy. You know, there were days where I was just like, man, I don't, I don't know if I have the energy for this, you know, day in, day out, you know, I'm sure every touring musician comes across that, that place where they're just like, fuck, man, I don't. I don't know if I can, if I can be that guy tonight, you know, but you get up there and and you do it anyway. And I feel like, you know, you just hope that it comes off as honest. And, you know, usually for me, it was, you know, some nights I wasn't feeling it or whatever, but when we would get up on stage and, and do it, we, you know, I'd always, I'd always feel better and more connected to those people as opposed to when I was off stage, you know, it's just, it was easier for me on stage than off stage for sure.
4: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so like you said, your, your sister was, was pretty pivotal for you getting into, you know, music and everything like that. Was it a matter of her introducing you to like the more independent variety, like, you know, the punk and hardcore stuff, or was that, uh, someone else's doing,
5: um, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know. My dad was kind of like an old school punk rocker. He just kind of, you know, he grew up in Los Angeles. Um, he just kind of showed me bands through the door, but they didn't really like, you know, it wasn't something I was like too stoked on until my sister, you know, she was, she's four years older than me. um, And when I was probably 13 or 14, she started showing me bands, you know, she introduced me to um, shy Hulud and um, a few other bands akin, you know, that I just kind of really just, it sparked my love for M- music in general, truly, but from there, you know, it was like right when internet was kind of like, you know, bands were using it, so it was almost harder to find the bands that you know sounded similar to something you enjoyed. It was much harder, you know. It's not like Spotify today, where it's like, oh, similar artists, here we go, um, you know. But yes, she was, she is the person, you know. she's still, we still trade music that we're listening to and, you know, that we're stoked on, but she was definitely the, the person that got me into the music that, you know, I continue to play today. Really.
4: Sure, sure, sure. That's cool. Um, the And so, like, I mean, what stuff were you, I mean, like you mentioned you going to, you know, that show in Portland. I mean, I, I still remember that tour. Yeah, I was taking Alexis on Fire between the Buried and Me. Yes. Today, such a good tour. Yes. Uh-huh.
5: Man, it was, man.
4: <laughs> well, I just, I liked it because it was such a, you know, it's like us and Alexis on fire made sense together between the buried in me and it dies today made sense together. But like all of us together sort of made sense, but it was like, every show was like, I mean, at the time it's like, these shows were like, you know, out of control in certain places where it was like, wow, like there's 150 people here in Dallas, which like, that just didn't really like, this just didn't really make I, sense at that time. You know,
5: or whatever. I, I think I, you know, I got handed the flyer, I went to a comeback kid show like two weeks before that show. And, um, somebody handed me the flyer for that show. And I almost remember like jumping up and down with joy. Like, you know, I just kind of gotten into you guys like maybe, you know, a few months before that, but I was just like, Oh my God, this lineup's so good, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. But you know, I look at the venue, I'm like, what the hell is this? I've never been to this venue, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was a, it was a cool show, man. I remember, um, it was just a, it was a spectacular night. There was a lot of shows like that for me around that age. You know, I was, like I said, I was pretty young, but you know, my sister was there with me at that show and for many shows after that. But that's
4: cool. So you guys, are, uh, you guys were basically kind of like show buddies. You would, you would go. To.
5: <laughs> I don't think she necessarily wanted me to be her show buddy, but she <laughs> definitely made that's her true. drag me to every show that she was going to that, I, you know, that I, remotely enjoyed you know at that age you just kind of like oh man i want to soak up as much as i can of this and right you know even when she didn't want to take me i'd you know beg her mom or my dad (laughs) to make her take me totally like
4: please (laughs) they're like like can can you please take ian off of her hands like he really wants to go with you and it's like oh gosh i guess i'll take him yeah that makes sense yeah
5: bless her for that man
4: (laughs) for sure um (laughs) And so, you know, as you started to get into, you know, this and go to shows and stuff like that, was the idea pretty quickly implanted in your head that you also wanted to create music and start bands and stuff like that? Or was that something that you had to like ramp up to?
5: It was, um, you know, once again, um, my sister started to date this guy named Kyle, who she's married to today, um. But he was in this band around here. It's like a, you know, more rock alternative band called Catisfy. They were on Hopeless. Um, But they used to throw these parties and shows. They had this cool house up in uh, off Barnes Road here in in Portland. And at those parties, you know, I was always wearing a band shirt, you know. Um, And I was introduced to two guys that, are still friends of mine today uh one's an original member from it prevails uh alex Cucci. Uh, um, he's our original guitar player and and then my buddy tony who did play in it prevails for a short time but he went on to um me and him both went on to start the band american me and i met those guys they were both a few years older than me and basically since the first time i met them we were inseparable and we ended up starting you know this idea of, Hey, you know, I was playing in this band in, in high school that, that was also a rise band called, um, ever we fall. I was playing bass for them.
4: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I remember the <laughs> band, but I didn't know that. That's funny.
5: Yeah. I did like my first U S tour with any band with those guys. Um, when I was like 16 on summer break, it was, it was wild, man. But, uh, from there, you know, um, they wanted to go do it. You know, they were all graduating high school. I was still doing school. And, um, basically, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to play melodic hardcore, the version I knew of it at that time. And not quite sure on, you know, how it would ultimately sound, but I knew, Hey, these guys, they're super cool. Alex was from Philly. He grew up in, you know, the East coast, um, hardcore scene. He showed me bands like harvest and burn, and you know, Tony showed me bands like uh, Beloved and stuff like that. Where ultimately we came together and we started toying with this idea, like, "Hey, we want to make our own version of all these cool bands that you know that we've come to love." So basically, in their apartment, we just kind of started writing riffs and seeing how it came out.
4: Got it. Got it. That's cool. And then you know like fast forward to where you know you you start uh, working with rise and you know having the idea to tour and all of that sort of stuff um was that uh you know were you excited to tour based on your previous experiences or was that something that you kind of were like well i know i you know i know we got to get out there and, and promote the record and stuff like that um you know how how did that all tra- like kind of kick around your head
5: man it was uh, it was something like I couldn't be stopped to do you know it's like I really had this strange yearning to to do it from you know seventeen on I graduated when I was seventeen from high school and we had um, released our first EP the indelible EP and you know from there we kind of just played locally we did a West coast tour and then we wrote some demos and I had known Craig already from being with ever we fall and we recorded some demos for the inspiration. Um, and we sent them to Craig and he was basically like, man, I'm all for this, you know, let's get you in the studio and, and and track an album. So we tracked the album with Chris Crummett. We, you know, it was the inspiration. We were, we were all super excited. Um, we were, very confident with our sound and you know we just we couldn't be stopped we wanted to hit the road our first tour kind of ended in disaster our van broke down but we just took the greyhound home and got another one and, and continued to hit the road right undeterred undeterred <laughs> against better judgment looking back on it you know but sure sure we could have prepared a little better or whatever but we were we were super young and it was something we were determined to do yeah
4: Did you have any notion in your head that like, you know, from a a sort of career perspective, were you like, you know, because at at that point, like there were some roadmaps that bands could look at to be like, oh, yes, like I can, you know, whatever, quote unquote, making a living is out of a band. Like, you know, there was at least some uh, connective tissue where you could be like, oh, well, Poison the Well did it. So, like, you know, maybe like we could try that. Um, Or was the business stuff just something that you you know encountered because you (laughs) obviously had to
5: well you know it's like we did see bands like coming through town you know every three or four months like and when they weren't in our town they were somewhere else we saw that it was possible to maintain a life on the road so long as you held the interest and you know
0: you know love of your fans and that was something
6: Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
5: That we knew took hard work. We knew it wasn't something that was going to just be handed to us, rightfully so and as it were but we just kind of said you know this is what we want to do and we definitely lost our ass like any other band for the first i don't know eight months on the road maybe more you know the full cycle of of the inspiration we i don't think we made any money whatsoever <laughs> right right right. but it, it made you know it it kind of started almost to pay for itself and the experiences. I'm sure any touring musician can agree to that, but that's what kept us wanting to do it, you know. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its
2: largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi!
4: Today's show is supported by Earbuds Music. Now, you've probably run into this problem so many times, where you're like, oh man, here's this rad record I'm listening to. What's the best way to share it with my friends? It's like, oh, I take this this screenshot and send it to a group text, and then people are like, all right, I gotta dive into my thing. No, Earbuds is the best way to share music. It's a social music app that syncs with your Spotify Premium or Apple Music account and allows you to broadcast your music to friends in real time. So whatever you're listening to, whenever, you can send it to your friends and they can listen along with you. So it functions exactly like social media. There's chat, interactivity, and then you can share your music, which is the most important thing. And it's completely free. You just need an Apple Music or Spotify Premium account. And if you can't make it to a live stream, you can dive back in. So, you know, say you're sharing it with a friend and they're at work. They're like, yo, I'll get back to it. And boom, there it is right there. I think this app is absolutely incredible. There's a soundtrack channel because I'm a huge soundtrack fan and I'm able to listen to that. Uh, You know, a bunch of different people are streaming stuff. And then I'm also diving back into the archives of the streams of people who have, uh, you know, put together some really, really good playlists. And I love this so much. So never miss a beat. Download earbuds on the iOS app store now, or go to Earbudsmusic.com to learn more. It's great. Dive in now on with the show. You graduated high school early. Was that because you were just like, yo, I can't wait to get out of here and I want to take as many classes as I possibly can. Or was that Uh, something else?
5: Actually, I kind of, I started school early, so I was in kindergarten at age four. So by the time I, you know, was, Exiting high school, I did take like a fast track program. Um, in order to do that, I did you know I still graduated with my class at seventeen, but I was done. I think in you know March or so of two thousand four. Sure. So so you were just young. Um,
4: you were just young for the your graduating class.
5: Right. Right. Yeah, I was just like one of the younger guys. Right. Um. And so
4: then you know like when you were you know, making the band a sort of central component of your life as far as like, you know, touring and putting up, you know, music when you could and everything like that. Um, you know, what were you like as you came home and I'm presuming you're working a job, like what, you know, what sort of job were you doing? Like how, how did all those things kind of coexist with one another?
5: Man, uh, it's, it's just kind of a wild thing, you know, like, uh, my mom had a home in southwest portland that i would chewed would like kind of let me stay at here and there and then our guitar player brian um he too had a mom that was super cool and let us let us stay there in between you know treks on the road and i worked a lot of, you know between the ages of 17 to 20 basically i just worked for temp agencies you know a lot of warehouse work production stuff um stuff that i could you know easily exit from <laughs> when, when, tour when came I, up. Yeah. when tour came up and you know, it was, it was easy for me. I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't feel bad about it either at that time.
4: Sure. Yeah. You're like, well, I have to go on tour. So it looks like I'm quitting this job and I'll find another <laughs> one when I come back.
5: Exactly. And I know I'm not the only guy who's gone through that, but right. it was, uh, at that time, you know, that was something that, that was, uh, that was easy for me to do. Now we, you know, towards the end of the inspiration was, you know, it's already been out for like a year and a half. We, uh, you know, we were like, well, we can't just keep touring this record, we gotta, we gotta write another one. And, you know, we said, well, and that's about the time when we had a couple members say, "Mm, we're going to leave, you know, I, we want to do something else. So me, Aaron and Cam went home and, and started writing the, uh, our second record capturing a brace And, you know me and craig from rise are good friends today but you know we sent him like four or five song demos and he wasn't really feeling it and it was unfortunate because we really we felt you know we felt happy about the sound we were coming up with and um you know granted we did i started to sing you know i've always enjoyed bands that implemented both heavy and clean vocals and but I could see how it would deter people as well as a risk. And, um, you know, we decided to record it anyway and do it our way. And that's when we accessed our old buddy, Ryan Furlot, Um, and I helped him physically build his parent, you know, a studio at his parents' house in order to, to pay for funding that record.
4: Nice. And so you're like, yeah. I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting my, uh, my you know job skills from working in the warehouse and doing all this other stuff towards, <laughs> towards building the studio to get the record done.
5: You know, it was like I was at that point where I wasn't going to let much of anything stop me from putting that record out or at least, you know, um, wanting. I really wanted to, to get it out on any, you know, platform. And we ended up um, just releasing it through uh, Ryan Furlott's. Just kind of he just made a label up. And we decided to just put it out anyway. But at that time, you know, we had done like a couple more regional tours, West Coast. We did even one full U.S. before we released Capture and Embrace. And uh, man, even more members were just like, uh, this isn't something I want to keep doing. You know, it's not it's not lucrative. It's not it's not something that's paying off. So at that point is kind of when we we took a, a, a break for a couple of years. Um during that time, my dad um you know, I obviously wanted to find a something to fall back on like as a as a career and my dad was an elevator mechanic for 30 years and so was my grandfather, so time came when a chance for me to do the same thing kind of came up and I just I made the decision to put the band on hold and and jump you know, feet first into, into that career. And I'm still working it today, but, um, the band kind of went, you know, on a small hiatus from 2008 to 2000 to late 2009. And, um, it was about, you know, late 2009 that we, we kicked it back into full gear. I was laid off from work. That's when the whole economy tanked. And, um, it seemed like the better time than ever to, to finally both tour capture and embrace properly and uh even write some new music so that's what we did
4: got it yeah i was gonna ask you a little bit later with you know you're the uh, elevator repair it's elevator or is, do you do elevators and escalators or
5: i do yeah okay. so yeah my union it's uh we, we can be asked to work on elevators escalators and even dumb waiters and those moving walk platforms at the airport and stuff like that oh
4: sure yeah that's um that's uh y- it's really, really cool that it's a family tradition behind that. Cause I mean, it, you know, for most people, and I'm sure this has been expressed to you where it's like people are like, "What? that's a weird job, dude. Like, where the hell did you get into that? But the fact that you can like, Oh yeah. Like my dad and my grandpa did that. And you're like, Oh, I see. <laughs> like now that makes a yeah. whole lot of sense.
5: It does, you know? And it's like, it's, it's something that I was like, you know, especially when I was younger and just started to prevail when we were touring. I was just like, ah, I don't really want to do that. I don't know what I want to do, but man, that, you know, growing up, it just kind of seemed like that's what I'm going to have to do. And, um, you know, I'm the only, um, sibling, I mean, my, my brother doesn't do it. Um, but I, I decided to do it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm so happy I did. I, I love my career. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually helped me exponentially to, to be able to continue to make it prevails happen both financially and, and, um, even with time when, when work gets slow, you know, I, I, I use it to my, um, you know, benefit and, and focus time on the band.
4: Yeah. Cause I, I think that's anybody that can look at your own personal trajectory as far as the music that you've put out, it's like they're, there's this dedication to the fact that you're like, I always want to be doing this regardless of my, you know, my life circumstances or anything else. Like I am going to, (laughs) I'm going to create this music, you know, come hell or high water. And I think that's, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily, I mean, it's a common thread amongst a a lot of artists where they're like, Oh yeah, no matter what I'm doing, I'm like, I don't, I, I I could be making $0 at it and I'm still going to be doing it. But I think that, Um, yeah, just the, the, I guess your consistency over a very long period of time where it's like, yeah, I'm going to put out music no matter what.
5: (laughs) You know, it's like, I've kind of like tried to take breaks, like where I don't do anything with music and I find myself just, you know, like half, half full, you know, I hate to say like, you know, half empty, but I just, you know, it's writing the music for it prevails. And then furthermore with the, a couple of releases with take shape, um, I always just it kind of just popped into my head like songs or riffs or whatever and I I found this huge release and outlet for just even creating the music whether or not we'd tour it or not or you know do anything of that sort but I've always like found this very uh you know freeing thing as to just even create the music it it's a it's a huge help for me you know and I've always just kind of use that for what it is
4: sure yeah no it's 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 rad because i think that there is this uh trap i mean less so now but there's this trap that a lot of people that are pursuing creative endeavors fall into where you know life gets busy and you know oh my gosh i'm pulled in a million different directions i got family I got work all this other stuff and then you know they kind of push their creative art to the side you know for for many obvious reasons but then when you never circle back on it and you never kind of give it that space to exist in, that's when, you know, I think most people can look at that and be like, Oh man, that's sad. Like what? Just, you can do it again. Like you can do it still, you know, you can write songs or whatever. And it's like, Oh man, that, that just, it's sad when, when that kind of goes completely away from people.
5: Definitely. I mean, you know, I found, you know, bands that, that released a a, a, stint of good music and then, you know, you never hear from them again and, at the end of the day, I at least wanted to give fans of, of It Prevails, you know, something that they can at least, you know, hold on to throughout the years, even though we didn't, you know, we kind of, we slowed down from touring, you know, six years ago.
4: Oh, yeah, totally. Um, And so the, you know, as you have, you know, kind of started and stopped and, you know, it's had so many different iterations as far as like, okay, you know, like once... You kind of were able to get the band, uh, you know, back together, so to speak, after your mm-hmm. little hiatus, and put out some records on Media Scare and stuff like that. Um, and you know, you had, uh, you know, people paid attention to you, and you did some, you know, regional touring and stuff like that. Um, you know, how, how did you feel like your your I guess mental headspace was as you were in those records? Because you know, both of those, like, they have, um, you know, pretty dark moments in there. Um, you know, did you feel like you were at a good uh, place throughout the duration of that? Or was that kind of, you know, the beginning of what you might you know define as like your, your <laughs> a downward spiral as it were, where it was like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not healthy. I'm not, I'm not handling myself appropriately,
5: man. Um, I want to say, so in 2000, late 2009, we started touring again. We just recorded and, um, released our finding EP and, you know, we, we wanted to kick the band in full year. I didn't see a time when I would be going back to work anytime soon. Um, and I was getting an employment. So that was pretty cool. And it was able to fund us even further. But we wanted to put out a new record. And me and Aaron, the drummer, uh, our original drummer, he, me and him sat down and, and wrote the Brun of Stroma over the course of a few months. And during that time, you know, and I think a lot of our fans can relate to it, the, the overall sound of that record is very melodic. It's very, um, it's very upbeat. The lyrics are very positive. Um, and that's kind of like where, I mean, I was heavy into drugs and alcohol when we were recording that and touring the, around that time. And I started to step on a lot of toes with the, with other bands, um, And members in those bands and you know i kind of started to fall into this very fine line of you know what version of me are you gonna get type of thing and moving forward from there it 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 got worse and i think it's very um you can easily hear it see it on uh moving into perdition that record is definitely our darkest um both musically and lyrically um and you know it it's kind of funny because I I like, I think about it now. It's like, man, I really put everything out there, you know, and it was for, for fans and and people and, you know, even my family, they, they were just like the tone from Stroma to to Perdition was just like a perfect, um, mirror image of, of where you were at, you know? So I think, um, you know, looking at it now, you know, I love Perdition as a record. I think the music's great. Um, I love Stroma too, but, you know, it's pretty, you can kind of just see where I was at as a person in, in mental state during both those records.
4: Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and like you, you mentioned, you're, you're, you know, you're fully, fully, you know, in the throes of, you know, using drugs and alcohol to kind of like, were you using that as, I guess, um, I mean, most people would define it as like coping mechanisms and, you know, escapism or like, you know, what, I guess what attracted to you, what, what attracted you to those substances kind of uh, not initially because that's you know obvious like most people it's like you know they're 16 years old and they're like oh i want to get drunk or whatever um right but like you know what kind of uh, attracted you to you know kind of take those further steps to um you know be deeper involved with it to where you know i mean at the time you didn't recognize you had a problem but
5: right you know it's like i spent a long time um thinking what I was doing was, was completely normal like most addicts. Um, but basically I feel it was definitely a coping mechanism. You know, I can see that now, but I thought, you know, I was, I was damn sure that, you know, I was just a better, cooler person when I was loaded basically. And, you know, I, I also used this excuse for years where I'm like, Oh, this is the only way I can write this music. This is the only way I can, I can you know, channel this music is if I'm completely inebriated (laughs) and um you know call it you know what you will but it was a it was a cop out and you know I was I'd gotten so deep in in using and drinking that is I had to come up with some sort of excuse to keep doing it because the fear of stopping I mean it wasn't even an option for me you know, I was so. By the time Perdition came out, it was just like there was only a couple things were were gonna get in the way of me and and uh, my addiction, and um, this most certainly did from there. But you know, I, I didn't want to hear it. You know, I had family, loved ones that were extremely worried about me, and I I was a lot of ups and downs around that time. You know a lot of high highs and extremely far lows
4: sure sure in the um you know you cuz it's weird too. And I'm sure that other people have expressed this, like, you know, I mean, you and I, you know, clearly didn't stay in the regular touch. I mean, even though, you know, I knew you and I considered you a friend, but like watching the, you know, quote unquote, watching <laughs> When I say, watching, right, it's right. like, you know, whatever a news website publishes the fact like, Oh, you know, Ian, you know, Ian from it prevails almost dies from a heroin overdose or whatever. And like, you know, that makes people, I mean, from a sensationalistic standpoint, it's obviously like, Oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that happened or whatever. Um, but then, you know, for you, I mean, you clearly were in the middle of it, so you could not have any perspective on the thing. But, you know, were were most people that I guess kind of approached you after you started to kind of climb out of that hole being like, um, you know, oh, I didn't like I, I wish I could have helped you sooner. Or like, you know, were a lot of people expressing that or were a lot of people just like, hey, man, uh, we're, we're glad you're here, regardless of, you know, any. any failures that I had
5: as an individual or whatever. So, I mean, there was a a lot of both, um, basic. And even on the further end of that spectrum, the negative side, you know, I had a lot of people, um, you know, share some, you know, very bad things with me that, you know, wish that I consumed myself basically. But, you know, I did get a lot of emails from fans, people, Um, saying that, you know, I wish I could have helped you during this moment or this part of your life, like that, you know, fans or friends or whatever that, you know, said, oh, you made it pretty clear that you were going through something and, you know, I wish I could have been there. I did receive a lot of support, you know. Um, I was on tour with my, uh, you know, kind of rock project, uh, Take Shape, and we were just about to put out a record that came out last year Um, but this was years, this was in 2015 and, you know, I had let myself go so far into heroin addiction that, you know, nothing was, it was, it was sad because I stepped on so many toes of, of people that I still consider my great friends. And and luckily they still didn't need a friend, but it had gotten so bad that it stopped me until I reached that point, you know, where I did, in fact, overdosed overdose on heroin. And, you know, from that, man, you know, it's like, how do you come back? That's how you feel. Like, how, how are you ever going to be taken seriously again? Sure. You know?
4: Well, it's, and, and I imagine too, like not to interrupt your train of thought, but it's like there, you know, you, you probably feel like a walking cliche where you're just like, <laughs> Oh my God! Definitely. Like wow, a guy in a band, you know, consuming too much heroin. It's just like, yeah, right. Like, there's that feeling of embarrassment. I'm sure in many respects too.
5: Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, more. I mean, so much shame and embarrassment followed because it's like, you know, you read uh, Prevails lyrics, and then you're you're gonna look at the guy who wrote them, and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's, he's full. Yeah, <laughs> he's know, full of it. He's right? Full of, he's full of shit. Right? <laughs> right. So, you know, and there was a lot of shame and stuff there, man. And I, you know, it was really, really hard for me to even consider making music again. After that, I put even that, like I said, the release of that take shape record, weightlessness that got delayed for two years, you know, Um, because I was just, I was done, man. I, um, mentally I was down to nothing. And you know, I'd let so many people down, especially my best friends, bandmates, family members. Um, and it was something that, you know, I, I I can say now I hid from, you know, I did. Granted, I had a son, um, you know, he's almost seven. Uh, but, you know, and I was trying to focus more, trying to get back in my career and, and really focus on that and stuff like that. So it was kind of an easy excuse for me to use, but... The real reason was that I was extremely ashamed of myself and you know, it didn't it didn't necessarily stop at the overdose, you know. I sure I, I never touched heroin again and I haven't. But, you know, I, I found excuses and just continued to live in that um, addict mindset and further deteriorated relationships. And I didn't never really grew from it besides from stopping using drugs and alcohol. I mean, that I didn't, uh, I didn't grow mentally or spiritually from it until, you know, just over a year ago.
4: Yeah. Which I I think is a really, um, you know, it's an important point because it's like, yeah, like, like you mentioned, like, yeah, you can drop one substance, but like, clearly there's 5 million other options of things that you can get into that are self-destructive. And like you said, you're not, um, you're not treating the, the root issue, like the addict behavior, and then you're, all you're going to do is just this, this vicious cycle where it's like if it's not heroin it's cocaine if it's not cocaine it's you know painkillers or mm-hmm. whatever and it's just one substance for another and um you know you, you real I mean uh, you know having the perspective on that I'm sure like that that's where you really probably started to felt like you actually got work done on that
5: man it it, it took uh, another you know deep low so basically it's like I touched on this before but. I feel like you know most men can relate to this in the sense that there's a period where you have to like find yourself as a man from boyhood, and you know, for me, it was extremely difficult, and I used it a lot as an excuse to use drugs and alcohol, like feel sorry for me, or you know I justify the reason why I deserved to get loaded when, in fact, I had absolutely no business doing it because I'd find myself in these lowest places. And it wasn't a thing where, you know, I'd climb up and then I'd slowly dive back into these low places. Sure. I'd climb up and I'd get everything I thought I wanted back. But then whenever I'd fall again, it would be deeper and deeper into those, into those bottoms, you know? And it was, uh, it wasn't until, you know, I, I gotta say recently, where you know I, I made a huge um change, and I have to live that every day, you know, and be extremely aware of of exactly where where these substances and choices are gonna lead me every single time. There's no more there's no more questioning of where it's gonna lead me. you know, I know exactly where it is. There's no gray area, and uh, both you know having that it's both freeing and also terrifying. You know.
4: Sure, sure. Well, I mean, you probably just feel vulnerable in so many ways because you're like, well, I could I could easily end up back at this spot if I'm not extremely vigilant over the way that I um, you know, conduct myself and, you know, make sure that I'm I'm checking in with how I'm feeling and all that other stuff.
5: Exactly. I mean, you know, it's something I work on, uh, daily. You know, I have, I have people in my life, you know, my wife included, um, who, you know, um, they expect to hear from me. And when I, when they don't, there's, there's an issue. And you know, that's how I, that's how I like it. Because if I don't stay in that mindset of of being completely aware and, you know, no, and being able to touch, take an inventory, you know, that's what we say. It's like, we take an inventory of, of how I'm feeling, you know, what, what am I susceptible to? And, you know, as long as you know that that's there, you're going to, you know, I, I've acquired the tools now to where I can, you know, find, know that it's going to pass. And, um, also, you know, I keep those dark places real close to my chest, dude. Like, cause if I don't, then I'm fucked
4: sure. <laughs> more or less. Totally. Yeah. You, for, you forget about the, um, yeah, the darkest, darkest depths. Cause yeah. Otherwise then it's like, Oh, well, you know, like it wasn't so bad if I just did it a little bit and mm-hmm. it's like, Nope, man. Then, then you're. it goes from zero to 60 real quick.
5: Yes. Yeah. And for me, it definitely does. Like I said, there's no more, there's no more questions there for me, but you know, on the, on the other hand of that, it's like, I've, I've truly found myself, you know, it's like, yes, all these terrible things I've done to people, all the shame and guilt and you know, letting people down endlessly, you know, but it's led me to where I am now, you know, and it's led me to being able to, to, to help others because being so upfront and being open about, you know, where I've been sobriety, all that stuff, it's allowed me to, you know, people to feel trusting in me to reach out to me and ask me how I'm doing it. You know, how, what can they do? You know, I, I found this whole new element of of helping others in a different way, besides you know writing lyrics and, and making music.
4: Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's very um, you know people people are are their their resilience and strength is only forged through you know uh, opposition and adversity. And like, yes, of course, uh, you don't want that adversity to be self inflicted, but at the same right. time, it's like it, no matter what, it like it it comes for you in some way, shape or form. And you have to know, like you said, you have to kind of grow into that, you know, adulthood and recognize the, you know, your shortcomings as a person, which everybody like has, you know, innumerably everyone that thinks that they don't like is deluding themselves.
5: (laughs) Totally. I mean, ego is like a big part of the whole music thing, you know, and like, I'm just as guilty of it as anyone else. Uh, but You know, it's like you just being humble and and knowing exactly, you know, where this where this whole thing we call life has taken me has put me into such a better position now to not only feel comfortable writing music again and releasing it and playing live. You know, it's just it's I find a whole new love for everything in life. Sure.
4: Sure. Yeah. It's, you know, the, (laughs) everything tastes a little bit sweeter once you've kind of, you know, had the idea of everything could be potentially taken away from you. Right. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that, um, you know, you're, again, you are constantly figuring out ways to, you know, put, put your music out there, play with different people and, you know, keep the central focus of like, you know, it prevails alive. And it's funny because there you, no one should care about your band at all anymore, you know? Like,
6: You're right.
4: right. Like there there's so many <laughs> there's so many other things going on. There's a million other bands that people have, could have gotten into. Um but it prevails like you know, it, it it sparks something inside people that have heard it and have that intimate relationship with the with the music. Um is it uh you know how does it make you I mean it's a stupid question where it's like, how does it make you feel? Like, of course it makes you feel good. But like, how do you kind of reconcile the fact that, you know, no one to care about the thing that you do, but they do. And that just, I'm sure that just makes you feel like, wow, I can't even believe that, (laughs) that, that anybody would still pay attention to this.
5: Definitely dude. Definitely. Um, I've just been so grateful. You know, the response we've been getting on, on social media, you know, we're playing the Saturday for the first time in four years. We just recorded a new EP. Um, we're going to press it on seven inch. Uh, we are just, and just by the, you know, once again, the wholesome response we get from people and just how they're so excited to, to hear something new, anything new from us is it's just so, I'm so thankful, dude. Like it's, it's hard to believe because of, you know, the roller coaster I've put everybody through but it's not something that I take lightly. You know, I I can say that prior to doing this or, you know, over the course of the last 13 years, you know, I really took a lot of shit for granted, especially the connection that this music's given people to, you know, whatever it is they feel from it. But, you know, it's just, I I look at it and really hold on to it a, a whole new way as opposed to how I used to, you know, it's, it's totally different for me and i'm so much more thankful and grateful that like you said people are, are still even remotely interested in it because of all these circumstances
4: but, yeah no absolutely and
5: it's it's amazing
4: totally no it's super it's it's super cool and like you said it definitely you know it's it's more meaningful to you now than frankly probably the first record was, or like, you know, some of the biggest shows you've played, it's just like, Oh yeah. Like the fact that this can still exist in my life, like that is really, really special.
5: It is. It's just become this, you know, for a while there, it was like this kind of intangible thing. Like, Oh man, you know, due to where I was at mentally, it was like, I don't think I'll ever get that back. Like it was something that I was lost so, so to speak. Whereas now, you know, doing it with a clear head and, uh, you know, with new principles that I live by, it's become easier and, and more fun than ever, you know, and, and I truly feel like our our fans and that are going to love what we put together with this new EP. And, you know, we can we can actually give them what they deserve for once, or at least I can. I know some of my other members have, have always been stand up dudes, but, you know, it's just. Uh, it's really cool to finally give 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 our fans what they deserve
4: yeah yeah totally that's really cool well thank you ian for opening up and being so honest and talking about your journey because i think it's uh yeah it's incredibly important for people to hear all this stuff and like you said you're connecting with people on an even deeper level than just lyrically so yeah i really appreciate it
5: thanks ray man it's great talking to you it's been a long time dude and i hope we can uh, see each other face to face again soon
4: Radical, hopefully you got some uh, some insight into that. And if you haven't checked out his band, it prevails really, really good. I love what they do. And um, yeah, thank you, Ian, very much for coming on the show. I very much appreciate it. Next week, we have another melodic, hardcore, I was going to say legend, uh, but he probably wouldn't like if I referred to him as such. But uh, it's actually a second-time guest, Brendan Murphy from Counterparts and End. Uh, he is uh, a friend of mine, and we had a chat, God, I don't know six six or so years ago. It was a long time ago, and I recently uh, you know reposted that just as far as like on the socials and stuff like that to be like, oh yeah, if you missed this episode, you can check it out. And he's like, dude, we got to have another chat. And I was thinking about, it. I'm like, yeah, a lot has happened in your life in regards to you know your, your band being much larger than it was a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, so it was a great great chat. Brendan got to hang out with me on the mics, and it was fun. So that's what I got next week. And as always. I really appreciate Sonos. Sonos is the best because they support the show, but they make absolutely incredible speakers from the inside out. And I, I just love this product so much. It's so easy to set up. You can put them anywhere in your house. They all work independently of one another. You can play music in one room and then you have music playing in another room. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So go to Sonos.com to learn more. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.
2: Hi there, I'm Zach Raff, And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends,
3: but we met playing fake life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to rewatch the series one episode at a time,